0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. A guiding star lies in the heart of every successful organization. It's the purpose. Purpose-driven leaders embody this mission, infusing it into every aspect of their management style. They align strategies, cultivate cultures, and motivate teams to achieve collective goals. Unlike traditional leaders, who often prioritize profits over people, these leaders understand that a meaningful purpose Transcends Monetary Gains. A survey cited by Harvard Business Review disclosed that 97% of young business professionals are seeking a career imbued with purpose. However, only 34% reported deep interest in their current work. On this episode, we are joined by Victoria Peltier, transformational leader speaker and author to discuss how to drive organizational success and customer loyalty through purpose-driven leadership. Grab a copy of my new book, Customer Transformation: A 7-Stage Strategy for Customer Alignment and Business Value. This is your essential guide to customer success in the digital age. It's available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or my website. And to support the show, Visit chrishood.com/slash show, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected.
1: Connecting. Access granted. The Chris Hood Digital Show, where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy, innovation, and digital acceleration. Five, four, three, two, one.
0: Your digital evolution starts now.
1: Here's your host, Chris Hood.
0: Welcome to the show. Victoria, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, happy to. Uh, I'm really happy to be here today. My name is Victoria Peltier. I'm a, describe myself as a multi-potentialite, meaning I have a multitude of different passions and interests. My quote-unquote day job is as a C-suite executive in the B2B professional services space. I'm also a board director, an author, professional public speaker, and regular media guest. And then I'm a wife, mother, fitness fanatic, foodie, and wine lover.
0: So let's dive into leadership because I think that's an area that you speak often about. And where I want to start is we talk about how to maintain a high level of passion, intensity, purpose, when you're leading an organization, what kind of advice can you give somebody in order to understand where that intensity starts, ends, and needs to be maintained?
1: Uh, (laughs) So that's a broad question. And Chris, there's no like magic bullet here at all. But what I would say to kickstart this is making sure that not only the work that we do every day, uh, but we are inspiring in those that are working for us is really connected to purpose and an alignment of values and one's desire to have impact and more that I mean, that COVID and like this pandemic exacerbated the, the way that employees in particular think about that. And I hate the news headlines of quiet quitting and great resignation, and all those. Uh, but the reality is the way we think about work has, has changed dramatically. And so we want to do work that is, a, we feel is purposeful and aligns to our values, aligns to the kind of impact we want to have at work in the community, the world at large. And our role, particularly from a leadership perspective is to make sure that every employee understands, even if there are entry-level employees, how they can impact the broader purpose and, and bring connectedness to, to what they do every day.
0: Now, what's interesting in there is, first, I agree. I think that is a critical part of any organization. But in this age, as you said, the foundation of what work means is evolving. And what we find is, especially when we see a lot of unemployment, we see mass layoffs, that people will go to a company and they will work for that organization when those values or the purpose do not align. And so it's even more challenging for leaders to be able to establish that culture within the organization when you know full well there's several people there that just simply don't agree
1: Right. That makes me think of, I just finished listening to uh, the audio book of Elon Musk's biography. And that for me is a great example of what you're talking about. People who have made choices to work in the organizations in which he leads and runs, knowing full well the type of leader he is. And this is where I think we, you know, there's a paradox, however, when we talk about purpose and the ability to compartmentalize the, what we do every day. And so people could say, I fundamentally believe in green energy. And this is why I want to work at Tesla, for example, even though they might not like the leadership, you know, or make a decision to stay at X, uh, you know, formerly Twitter, what whatever it is. And so you, you need to, I think that's the paradox that we recognize that needs to exist. And then down to, from a performance standpoint, in terms of how we manage our employees who aren't aligned around the values of the organization or the leaders is to get the best performance out of them is to figure out what makes it work for them. And is that because they've recognized I'm here for a period of time to learn and contribute deeply to something I'm passionate about, and that's the product service technology? Uh, Or is it to get this on my resume for a period of time because it's going to help me, you know, as a launching pad to the next level? And I think that that's how I've approached things in the past. When I work for toxic leaders or organizations where I'm questioning, I'm like, I am here for this reason, for this time frame, and it makes it that much more palatable to make it to that goal line.
0: The toxic leadership is a challenge though. I mean, we've all worked for somebody who we simply just did not get along with. I'll use kind words, but it has impact on the overall morale of an organization. But that also starts to wear on us. I mean, I've been in the same situation. I go into work every day, and you start off like I love my job. I'm waking up every day. I'm going into work. Morale is high. This is what I want to do. And then it just starts chipping away and chipping away. And at some point in time, you're like, I believe in the mission. I believe in the purpose. But I just can't do it anymore.
1: I agree. I and I've I've been there myself. And I I have a, you know, a, a, the eighty twenty rule for me in terms of my work. Eighty percent of the time. I need to get up and be excited about going into work every day. And 80% or more, hopefully, of the people I'm working with I enjoy working with. I feel challenged by the work that I'm doing. I believe there's always going to be the 20% of administrative stuff we don't enjoy. There's always going to be some jerk in the office you don't enjoy. But again, 80-20. And I I sign a lot of my social media posts with um, no excuses, which I can tell you my children uh, really love uh when i bring that into the home front and and that's because i think when you're in the situation you have a choice and that is you know change and control what you can control and so if you're in that situation like if it's a really horrible situation in which you need to go to HR and log a formal complaint and see what can be done around that leader. Great. If it's, you're not excited by the work that you're doing, find a different role that does, et cetera. But at some point, if it's not changing, you need to stop bitching about it and make a decision around how you you're going to move forward for yourself.
0: Let's turn that no excuse around. Now you're a leader and you have lost a few people from your team and you have to go out and rehire. How critical is it for you to hire somebody who aligns with the purpose of the organization?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, Chris, because there's been a war on talent. Now, thankfully, well, thankfully or not, it's you know not great for us. The current sort of market conditions and looming recession, and but what it means for, from an employer and leader perspective is we're seeing less turnover. People are 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 staying, and and there's also more candidates in the market because many companies have laid off. So the pendulum swung so far one way; it started to come back um, and, you know, settled into a, a place where I would hope that as leaders, we're going to make some right, uh, some choices to do what I usually refer to as do, just doing the right thing. And so it, it, it's a challenge because we're, there's much more of a, a movement now to looking at, um, skills more discreetly versus broader kind of job families and titles. And with those, you know, skills, um, assessing, you know, do you have that talent within? Can you build the talent? Do you have to buy the talent? Can you automate some of, you know, the skills, all of those. So I I actually see the role of HR as now being the strategic business partner to those that own the P&L in the business. For me, there are some things that I will not trade off for. And um, I believe culture is the outcome of not just the fancy mission statements we put on the wall, but it's the policies, the procedures, the language, action, and behaviors of everyone, but particularly the leaders who stand at the front of that. And so for me, I'm not going to flex on someone who comes in and is going to destroy the goodwill that we've built and a sense of belonging and inclusion and what should ultimately drive good culture. So I will look for great talent, but I will trade off maybe on the skill level for some because I believe they have propensity to learn um, and they're good fit with the others on the organization and bring in some diversity and different thought to maybe help us innovate and do better.
0: You're touching on some really good stuff. I think when we definitely from an innovation perspective and trying to evolve that business, again, focused on the culture, there are really a couple of main areas that we think about. One is the employees themselves. And how do we empower those employees to participate in the innovation process, to participate in the evolution of the culture itself, as well as really thinking about people as people? You know, we talk about human-centered design. How do you bring that perspective to leaders to really recognize that people are people and we have to empower our employees as part of the process?
1: A lot of the time, I think it's, I found it's been education that this human centered, whole human way of leading isn't just a nice thing to do or, or the right thing to do. The reality is it actually drives the business results we're looking to achieve. And so the reconciling that for many people, and, and I'll tell you, Chris, early in, I became an executive in my, in my early twenties and, uh, I didn't think I should show up in that human-centered way, in part because I was the youngest person on the team, executive team, and I was the only woman on the team. So I was like, I'm not going to show this emotion and vulnerability. Uh, And uh, I got some horrible nicknames as a result. And I think I had great respect and potentially fear from people on the team, but they wouldn't have followed me into the proverbial fire. And so I learned the hard way that I had to be that kind of human-centered heart-centered leader that recognizes we show up as our whole selves every day. We can't just shelf what's, you know, our lived experience and the stuff that's happening at home. And so my advice to leaders is to recognize that this drives the outcome we're looking for in terms of business results, plus makes it a great place to be every day. There's not a trade-off and that for those who are uncomfortable with it, I would encourage them to lean into the discomfort until it feels more natural um, to build the kind of results that you know we all want to work in ourselves.
0: Absolutely agree. What's interesting, though, is when I think about some of my previous experiences, I think we can all relate to a time where an executive CEO comes out, does an all hands, makes an inspirational and passionate plea to, to our humanities, and yet behind the scenes in the boardroom, those emotional connections that you're talking about are often forgotten about. What is the business? What are our goals? What are our KPIs? What are the things we have to accomplish? And very rarely do we see around the boardroom and definitely at the senior level executive position, that emotional connection come out. Why is it so limited to only when we're talking to the masses, the employees, and not when we're doing our day-to-day operational practices?
1: I'm going to be kind of a jerk in saying this, but because someone else writes the CEO's speech for him to deliver. (laughs)
0: but uh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I think there's an awareness of what we should be doing, but it's hard work in practice. And some of my earliest mistakes also was I was like all business all the time. I'm so A-type. I got to get stuff done. That takes time to build relationships and rapport and all the things we need to do to build, whether it's, relationship-based selling or whether it's with our, with our teams. And so I think it's again, head versus heart, um, and, and the creating the time and capacity. I have a saying where there's conviction, there is capacity. I, I think there's a, a shallow conviction for some to create the capacity to do what, do what they need to do when they get out of the town halls.
0: But there has to be some mantra that is within the organization. We'll call it the no excuses mantra, If we are partnering and we are in an organization and you are forgetting that mantra, it's my responsibility to remind you of it. Even if it's casual, even if it's one-on-one, even if it's point blank in the middle of a meeting, there should be some way that whatever that mantra is throughout the organization that it permeates so that in every single meeting, somebody is just casually reminding yes, but... And I'll give you a great example of this. I often talk about how the customer is your number one priority. And I talk to organizations where they go around the room and they decide on whatever the new product or service or marketing campaign is going to be. And they don't have that one person who's saying, yeah, but what do you think our customer would say? What if our customer was sitting in the room with us right now? What do you think they would think about us? Those subtle moments of remembrance of what that purpose is are often never shared.
1: And I, I think that's manifests as a result of fear and insecurity in those to speak up to those in power. I am incredibly direct. I'm originally from Canada, and I remember the first time I moved to the US and to New York, um, them telling me I was the least Canadian of the bunch. And that's because I wasn't self-deprecating and de- apologizing all the time, but really it was much more because of just much more direct, All cards on the table. There is a hierarchy for a reason. And at some point, someone more senior than me can make a decision and I'm going to need to get on board with it, but I'm going to bring that conversation to the forefront. But I find so many are afraid to do that. That's item one. Item two is people behave in the way in which they are incented. And so a pure focus on driving sales, revenue, profitability, in, and I've worked a lot of, in publicly traded companies, quarter to quarter to quarter means we're making these trade-offs constantly. And n- I, not that I don't believe sometimes we need to do that, but because they're getting incented to do that, it's driving horrible behavior and they forget about all the other values they espouse and have written in their employee handbook around you know, the kind of culture we want to work in, being you know, obsessed with our customers, to your point, Chris, over what would they say, what do they want and what do they expect from us?
0: psychological safety came to mind as you're talking about it, where we do have those fears, this is insights into any culture at any business, is if you have those fears and, and you can't express yourself in a way that is going to, even if it's the mission and the purpose and the mantra that we're talking about, anybody should be able to express that without fear of repercussion. It's still surprising how many companies just don't have that space for businesses to function properly.
1: I agree. I agree. And, uh, and I wish more did in having sort of the, the. I, I, I'm going to say bold, but I actually don't think it's really bold to be thinking and operating in that way and encouraging our employees to challenge us and leaders. And I think I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions for the companies I've worked for. And I think as a result of that, I so many times I can say, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm gonna to have to rely upon you know my team and those who have institutional knowledge to educate me and together we're gonna to make some decisions. And that that's worked for me, but so many don't do that. And again, I don't think that's bold in encouraging that from our employees, but so many are uncomfortable with it. And you did say one thing that some of that is cultural. And so I hope more and more now that um, with you know the remote first or much more global workers because of the pandemic, that we're going to be able to influence that. I've spent a lot of time in cultures like I- India, who culturally, there generally, there is an extreme deference to hi- hierarchy. And so I often have people who would tell me all the time what I want to hear. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I need you to tell me what's going to work and challenge me.
0: I remember going into a company in India once and I asked, what is the problem? We established what the problem was. I said, stop, you know, same thing. Stop telling me what you think I want to hear. Just tell me the truth. And then it got to the point where, well, we need a manager to approve this. And I said, well, go grab the manager, bring them into the office. Like, let's sit down and have the conversation. Oh, no, we can't do that. That's not how we do things here. And I said, I I know that's what we're trying to solve. Just because we don't do things that way doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. That evolution, though, you touched on it, is also we don't know what we don't know. We have to be able to learn and grow ourselves individually. I think the part of being a good leader is to learn as we progress. Organizationally, we should empower our employees to learn and progress. What are some of the tips that you can provide in terms of how leaders should approach that to help either themselves grow or their organization grow?
1: I think there's a, a number of factors when we look at talent development within the organization and personal development and I'm a huge believer that you know we are this we are the CEO of brand you of your own career and not letting others, um, you know, hopefully guide you there. So that's one, we are in control. But as leaders, I go back to this this notion around skills. So there's a number of things that I, I see in terms of what do we need for today and how and where are we growing into the future? So there are the discrete functional skills of the roles people are in, whether it's a certain technology, they're in a corporate function of finance or HR or whatever, that those are those skills, but they're, the shelf life is rapidly reducing because of technology, and so what gets left behind is very different. So the need to problem solve and innovate in different ways because we have technology to support us, but also that innovation, problem solving, and engagement with our customers and our colleagues has changed. And I don't like to call them soft skills, but the human skills are really important. So I think for leaders, it's assessing and what do we have today. And how is that connected to where we're going in the future? And assessing that the, the skills and the propensity for people to learn new skills, uh, including those human skills that are going to be needed, so that's a big a, a big component of that. But also that the conversation over to our earlier piece around what do pe- people want to be doing, whether it's purpose, the joy that they get from their their job every day. There's a dialogue that needs to happen as well around the individual's desire and it might be to leapfrog over from one functional area to another. And how can I help you get there? Or maybe they are to the earlier point, they're in a role or a company for a period of time to gain requisite experience in a new industry or whatnot. How can I help you as a leader get you to that next level? But by having that conversation, it produces trust uh, with the employee and hopefully has them performing at the at, at their best for the period of time you have them before they evolve to that new role, or hopefully not a new company, but potentially.
0: I know this is cliche, but if you were to go back in time 20 years from today, what are some of those lessons that you've learned over the last 20 years that you would be telling your younger self? Because I understand you've got an interesting story that I think becomes relevant in what we're talking about.
1: The leadership lessons for me are things in my you know late 40s now that I wish that early 20-something year old executive um, would have known. now. Funny enough, like what I have listened to me, because I think of my children, you know, at 23 and 19 often don't listen to me. Um, and uh, and so I, I would say that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to, you know, show emotion and be that human-centered leader. I wore this mask. So my nickname that I found out in my, my mid to late 20s was the Iron Maiden. And that's because of strong performance management abilities, reorganization, turning around businesses, making tough decisions. But I never actually showed the fact that I'm like all marshmallow inside. And they were really, really difficult for me. So I wish I could have told that, you know, 20 something year old that. I wish I could have. um, There's other things, not about leadership so much, but around my own brand and how do I, you know, engage and build um, the, the brand and the network around me. That's been incredibly uh, important for me in being found as I've progressed through my career. And uh, I, I didn't learn until a little bit later, also this notion of building the network um, and the people around you when you don't need it, so they're there for you when you do. Uh, and so that I, I'm sure I burned some bridges. I know I burned some bridges at some point. And so now it'll be rare to do that unless you really, really like cross me because i I want us to stay connected because the world's you know smaller and smaller. And those were things I didn't appreciate uh, twenty years ago.
0: The networking piece, I think, is interesting and so that we can wrap things up. I am curious though, you know, we talk often about, building and finding people that will support us in our network. And oftentimes, we will be surrounded by people within the organization, the businesses we work for, who, again, may not align with our core values or may not align with the purpose that we are there for. And yet, I do feel at times even those individuals are a critical piece of our network. Now, we talk about burning the bridges and and trying not to disrupt people because we never know if it might come back at some point in time to haunt us or help us. But I think, again, in, in this network and definitely in, in today's society and cultural and the challenges that we are faced with, having people who actively support us is one thing. Having people who actively challenges us, I think, is something else. And both, I think, are just as important.
1: I agree completely with you. I often tell people that a big part of being successful and overcoming the challenges we have every day is being also incredibly self-aware and self-reflective. And sometimes that's hard. And so having the people, to your point, Chris, who can challenge you and say, "Mm, I don't know, perception's a reality and this is how you're showing up over here. So let's have that conversation. I think that's very important. Again, we were talking, we don't want people who tell us everything we want to hear. We need people who are going to poke and prod, but they do it from a place of care and compassion to see us progress and become better.
0: Yeah, I love that. How can people get in touch with you?
1: So I have a website, which is victoria-peltier.com, where content, the podcast, the speeches are all there. But for people who want to link out and connect on social platforms, whether it's LinkedIn or Insta or whatever, they can, they can do that from there as well.
0: I'll be sure to have all those links in our podcast post. Victoria, I appreciate it. Very interesting conversation. Thanks for having me. And of course, thanks to all of you who are listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve and grow. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care and stay. Connected.